I was so devastated. I was so overwhelmed by what had happened. And to be completely honest, I didn't even want to leave my mom's bedside. I didn't want to leave because I felt so afraid of what I might do to myself or what might happen. But here's something I will share with the students. This is going back to the point that I was about to make before. A really powerful quote that I heard that I really live by. It's actually by Stephen Hawking. And he said, where there is life, there is hope. Hello, fellow happiness seekers. Welcome back to the Head of Happiness podcast, all about helping you reframe your reality, spread positivity, and transcend your perceived limits. Today's guest has been on a mission over the past decade to change the stigma around OCD and mental health throughout the world. He's the founder and CEO of the JCK Foundation, and he's also just one of the most authentic, down-to-earth, and genuine guys I know. It's a pleasure to have him here with us today. So, John Tessitore, welcome to the Head of Happiness pod. <laughs> that intro was like the oh man, that was so sweet. I didn't expect that. I didn't know you had a whole intro for this too. Thanks for having me. I had to this hype is, you up a little bit, you know. <laughs> I was gonna say we've been doing it's so awesome because we've been having these conversations for so long, just getting to know each other, and we have our pretty much monthly conversations. Now we're doing it in a recorded way, and I'm just honored to be on here. And I and I. I love your mission and it really aligns with what we do and we got these headphones on. So we're going to a silent disco too. We're just, we're all just, we're all just ready to, we're just ready to, to spread some happiness. I love that. Let's spread some happiness. I love that, John. So I want to get into your mission as well. But before we get there, can you just give everyone a high level? Where are you from? Where have you been? What do you do? Yeah, of course. So I'm actually from a small town in New York called Dobbs Ferry. And it's it's interesting. I grew up in Dobbsbury and, you know, I, I pretty much have been in that area my whole life. And it's a very small town. So everyone really knew each other since we were kids. And that's kind of how the foundation originated, actually. So the JCK Foundation is in honor of my my best friend, John Kelly, who, unfortunately, he lost his battle to OCD and depression back in 2011. And I remember after that all happened, our community was just overwhelmed. And we were so... I mean, we're just so sad to be completely honest because John was the type of person that would do anything for anyone. And and he helped me as someone who was diagnosed with OCD and depression. When he found out that I was diagnosed with OCD and depression, he took me under his wing and he was like, dude, I'm going to do whatever it takes to help you, man. We're at this family barbecue and literally, I'll never forget this. I'll just tell this quick story because I think this is just a a great way to kind of, I guess, describe who I am and, and where I'm from. You know, we're at a family barbecue and this is after I, I'm in the seventh grade. John is like, 17 at the time and I'm like 13 and he's like dude dude I hear you have OCD and I was like who told you this like how do you know this he's like dude like our parents talk and I was like but why did my mom tell you this and he goes dude dude, it's because I have OCD too I'm here to let you know that you're gonna be okay I'm gonna help you get through this and I remember I vividly I was like wait you have these like intrusive thoughts about like the devil possessing your mom he goes dude all the time. And he gave me the biggest high five. And he just made me feel so loved. He made me feel so empowered. And from that moment on, I was like, wow, this guy is the best guy in the world. And he's going to do whatever it takes to, to help me. And, and I remember that helped me feel so empowered. And, and for the first time, I kind of dropped my own shame around my mental illness. And I started realizing that I can live this beautiful and happy life, even while going through this. And after he passed away, I really made it my mission to say, hey, I want to do whatever it takes to help anyone who's suffering. I want to do whatever it takes to help people feel understood, to help people feel valid, and to help them know that they can live a happy, healthy, and beautiful life. And that's kind of where our small town comes in. And 
you know, after he passed away, we started this really small softball tournament, which is why I'm rocking this Legends Never Die hat, this initial Legends shirt in honor <laughs> of John. And, and it just turned into something where we started building community around mental health because we felt like people didn't have a space to just be themselves. And that first tournament was magical. People started opening up about what they were going through. And, and for the first time, we kind of came together as a community and started to heal each other. And those conversations started to snowball. We started to have these conversations more and more often. And then I created the documentary about John. And then I started sharing that documentary and sharing my story at different schools across the country. And, and now we're, we're really doing our Legends program, which is a program that we do it for high schoolers, middle schoolers, colleges, faculty members, and parents, just all about the power of community and connection when it comes to their mental wellness. And we want everyone inside of those programs to know that your story matters and you have a place here just be yourself and share your story. If you like blasting Avicii and, and dancing, if that makes you happy, that's what you're going to do. If you like reading, we want you to do that. But most importantly, we want you to feel comfortable. And we don't want you to lose hope because we know sometimes this is can be a dark world. And you know that there's some times where you feel stuck and you feel hopeless. But one of our biggest goals at JCK is to understand that no matter what you're going through, you have a group and you have ourselves, the JCK Foundation, that have your back and are going to help you and are going to help you continue to find that hope and to spread your light and your authentic, your authentic light to everyone around you. So, I mean, you know, I'm just all about connecting and doing whatever we can to spread awareness and spread hope and spread comfort to people. So, I mean, yeah, I just, I just love being able to, to do this. You know, it's an honor. So, yeah, I guess that's a little bit about, about me. And yeah, that's a little bit about me. John, I have chills. I mean, there's so much I want to unpack there. But, you know, everyone is going through something and everyone just needs kind of someone to be there for them. And it sounds like John was there for you. And you're paying it forward by doing that for so many people with the JCK Foundation. And that's just inspiring. That's, I'm sure you've touched so many lives. Can you touch on that at all? Well, I think the coolest thing about it is like, you know, when you kind of first start doing this, you you don't really realize what, what can happen when you're just authentically yourself, right? And I think when you talk about kind of impacting people's lives, you never really know who you're impacting. Like one of my favorite stories from the JCK Foundation that actually happened this year, I'll never forget, we gave this really powerful program at a school called the Harvey School up here in New York. And kind of whenever we go into these programs, we really just leave our heart on our sleeve and, and we really open up and we do whatever we can, we can to connect. And for some people, it's the first time that they're hearing a story that relates to them because a lot of people suffer in silence or they just don't feel like they can relate to someone or maybe they know about mental health, but they don't really feel connected to a story or feel like that they can relate to anyone. They're kind of just isolated. So we gave this presentation at the Harvey School and about a month after that presentation, I got a phone call from a random number and I'll never forget this phone call. You know, I answered the phone and a young woman is on the other end and she's like, hey, is this John? I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is John. Who is this? And she goes in and she talks to me a little bit about, so she is actually based out in Florida and she was telling me about her journey with OCD and her and her mom got on the phone and it was the most, one of the most empowering conversations and one of the most motivational conversations I've ever had. It reminded me of why we do this. And it reminded me so much of John Kelly and just to kind of unpack it a little more. So long story short, this young woman, actually, her cousin was a student at the Harvey School. And her cousin's mother happened to be listening in because they heard this had to do with OCD. And they were like, you know what, maybe this can be something that we relate to. And long story short, this young woman who called me has been suffering from deep OCD for the last three or four years where they had to relocate, they had to move 
to Florida just because to try to get treatment. And they felt so misunderstood. They felt like no one understood what, what they were actually going through and that people didn't really understand how deep and how profound the impact OCD can have on someone's life. And we're talking about a young woman that's so smart. She was almost a professional athlete. Wow. And there was just so much going on. And for the first time, so she said that her aunt called her mother crying saying, I finally can relate to you guys. I finally understand what you're going through. And I want to do whatever we can to relate to you and to help in any way that we possibly can because we're here for you. And I remember just being in tears on the phone call and being like, you got to be kidding me. This is someone that I never thought would be impacted by this program. But the collateral impact of this story just was able to kind of hopefully positively impact the life of not only this young woman, but her whole family. And when you can break down that stigma, and when you can have those conversations, that's what it's all about. And I, you know, I'm almost tearing up thinking about it, because you get so caught up sometimes in the business side of things, and you're working so hard to just to just do what you need to do. But when all this all is said and done, this is what it's all about. This is what John Kelly would have wanted these conversations that can change someone's life. This is the real impact. And it's just like, this is what I feel like my purpose on earth is, is to just like be able to connect with anyone to make them feel better about their struggle and hopefully just be a vehicle for any sort of success in their life. And that really meant the world to me. And it's just crazy. That was something I can imagine John Kelly just being up in heaven, smiling down, being like, dude, like you're doing it. You know, this is what it's all about. This is what it's really all about. And it's a humble reminder of why you do what you do because you never know who you're going to impact by just really being yourself at, and spreading that story authentically. And it's just, uh, that's a story that I love so much. And it just will always stick with me, I think, until the day I die. Wow. And, you know, you never know who you're going to touch that's listening to this podcast right now, John. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's really inspiring that you're truly living your purpose. You know, you're doing what you feel you're meant to do. And I, th- I think a lot of people struggle with that, you know, the balance between doing what I'm meant to do versus doing what society tells me I should do or what I'm pressured to do, et cetera. And also just the topic of mental health. I think it's so taboo, even though people are talking about it more these days, especially with COVID. People are starting to be okay saying I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling depressed or whatever. It's all new. And it's still people have perceptions of what that means and they aren't necessarily true. So for those who just aren't too familiar with OCD, can you kind of help shed light on what that means, how common it is? Yeah. So OCD is one of those disorders that's so really kind of underrepresented in a sense. And I remember some of the stats say something like 2% of Americans suffer from this. But as a lot of people start realizing, it's actually a lot more. And some people don't really realize what these intrusive thoughts actually are and what they do. So I was literally just talking about this today in our program. I remember when I was first kind of diagnosed with OCD, I felt like I was the only human on earth that had those, these thoughts. And you know, basically what it is, is OCD, you get obsessions, right? So for example, I'll have a thought in my head, here's how it manifests for me, where you know, usually it surrounds around the things that you love the most. So when I was growing up, I loved my mom and I loved life the most, right? So I used to always think that if I did the wrong thing, something negative is going to happen to to my mom. So I would always think, okay, I have an obsessive thought that my mom's going to be possessed by the devil and it's my fault. So in order to protect that, I would have to do a compulsion. And even though the compulsion isn't what you're supposed to do, it's what your mind is telling you to do that you think is going to give you relief. So I would say, okay, I have to say a perfect prayer. And of course, I would be up until four or five in the morning trying to say this prayer, right? When what I really should do is say, okay, this is an intrusive thought. I know my mom's not possessed by the devil. I just know I love my mom so much. And I'm not going to do a compulsion to counteract it, right? 
And the same thing too, I love my girlfriend so much. So I'll have a thought like, oh my God, what if I have I do something that negatively affects my girlfriend? And then I'll do a compulsion at times. I'm like, okay, I have to make sure that I didn't, and I'll have to just say, I'll have to make sure that I didn't negatively affect her. And sometimes instead of just being like, okay, John, you know, you didn't negatively affect her. You don't need that reassurance from her, but I will have to get that reassurance when my OCD is kind of at a high, right? And when I'm not feeling good in a sense. And that's that's tough when I know I should really say, okay, this is my OCD. Let me just understand, okay, let me slow down and understand the best way is understand, okay, this is my obsession, right? I don't need to do a compulsion to counteract it. I just have to sit there and accept it and then understand, okay, you are a good person. You're not doing anything to harm a specific person. Same way with my mom. And for me, when I was in college, it was about life itself. So I think the scariest intrusive thought I ever had, to be completely honest, was about suicide. And I know this is going to be a little bit deep, but I remember when I was 21 years old, I used to think that, oh my goodness, if I have this negative thought, I remember vividly coming back home from my best friend's 21st birthday party and being so overwhelmed by the thought of, you know, what if everything around me is fake? What if I'm suicidal? And this was at a time where I wasn't in therapy. So I just thought that I was kind of losing my mind. And in my mind, I thought, oh my God, this is what it's like to be suicidal when my thoughts were really manifesting in a sense. And it was trying to latch on to the thing that I love the most, which was life. And the last thing I ever want to do is take my own life. But my mind, I wasn't taking care of my mental health. My OCD was so out of control at that point. I wasn't going to therapy. And I just was having these horrible intrusive thoughts about hurting myself and about death, when the truth is that's the last thing I wanted to do. But I was suffering in silence from this. And there's so many people out there that are suffering in silence from these horrible intrusive thoughts when they're not a bad person, they're not suicidal, they're not going to hurt themselves. But these obsessions tend to manifest towards that. So when you're not kind of getting the help for it, and when you think you're the only human on earth that's going through these things, right? It gets really isolating. And then here's the big kicker here, right? The shame of these intrusive thoughts, right? How am I going to tell my mom? How am I going to tell my friends? How am I going to tell my girlfriend? my mom, my friends about these thoughts that I'm having about them, right? How are they going to understand that, right? And and it's just so hard and so taboo. But when you start kind of realizing that, oh my God, these people are going to love you and accept you for who you are. And I was, oh my God, these are your intrusive thoughts. This is your OCD. We accept you and we love you for who you are. It's a really, really powerful feeling. So I just remember when I had those intrusive thoughts about suicide, my therapist told me two things that changed the course of my life. So, you know, just for a little bit of a backup story. So I think this is important to share with the viewers here. When I was 21 is when everything happened with John Kelly. And that's when he passed away. And it's actually pretty ironic. The day before John Kelly actually passed away was the worst day of my life. I remember this is when I, the intrusive thoughts were really taking over. And I thought there was no way out. And I actually opened up to my parents the night before John passed away and saying, Mom, Dad, I think my OCD is back. I think I need some help. I only told them about one one thousand the pain that I was actually in. But I remember so vividly having these horrible intrusive thoughts and thinking about, you know, how am I going to continue to go on? And I remember waking up at five in the morning that night and saying, how much longer can I do this for? Because I don't want to die, but I had no idea how to live anymore. And then the next day, I get a phone call from my best friend telling me that John Kelly had passed away. And I remember the first reaction that I had was, to be completely honest, I had no reaction. I was so shocked. I was so overwhelmed. I was so stunned. Because not only did I find out this news about my best friend and that he passed away in the worst way imaginable, but I was just went through this mental health crisis for the last month and a half where I couldn't get on my own intrusive thoughts. I couldn't get these thoughts of, of death out of my own head. 
And you're going to tell me that, that John is gone. It just couldn't be true. And I remember the first reaction that I had was complete and utter anger. I remember looking at the stars, driving home on my way home from Fairfield University and saying, how could quote unquote God take someone like John Kelly, the guy that would do anything for anyone that would sit here and be like, Brian, dude, like, what's your favorite thing about like, about hit of happiness, dude? What's it like growing up with Chris Hollowell and just hanging out with that guy? He's a freaking legend, man. Like he would do anything he could to connect with you because he authentically cared and loved you and would do anything to help you. And you're going to tell me that you're taking him? This is bullshit. This isn't fair. You're taking the most beautiful human on earth, right? And then obviously the initial reaction when I woke up was complete and utter sadness. I was so devastated. I was so overwhelmed by what had happened. And to be completely honest, I didn't even want to leave my mom's bedside. I didn't want to leave because I felt so afraid of what I might do to myself or what might happen. But here's something I always share with the students. This is going back to the point that I was about to make before. A really powerful quote that I heard that I really live by. It's actually by Stephen Hawking. And he said, where there is life, there is hope. And this is a really powerful thing because even in the midst of that really dark moment, in the midst of not only losing my best friend, but being so overwhelmed by my own OCD and intrusive thoughts to the point where I was almost ready to give up. I remember getting rushed to therapy that day. And my therapist told me two things that changed the course of my life forever. And the first thing he told me is he goes, John, I promise you, you're not suicidal. You're just extremely anxious, John. And if you think about it, you haven't taken care of your OCD for the past six or seven years. You haven't gone to therapy. And you've just been living with these thoughts by yourself. And you've been isolating yourself. But this is just your OCD manifesting itself in a different way. And I promise you, we're going to be able to get through this the same way we got through those other thoughts. And I remember sitting there and this boa constrictor started to lift off of my neck. And I said, wait, wait a second. I, I can get through this. There is some hope. I'm not just going to continue to go down this dark cloud. And I felt empowered. And even though I was so sad and I was so heartbroken and that pain and that grief, they're still there. There's still, we still miss John every single day. But I, for the first time, even in the midst of this horrible moment, I had hope. And then he goes, John, I promise you, I'm always going to be here for you. And I made a promise to myself really in that therapy appointment that once I started to feel a little bit better, I was going to do whatever I could to help anyone that was in my boat, any person that has been suffering from those intrusive thoughts where they felt like they couldn't get out, where they felt like they were quote unquote losing their mind, where they felt like they had no hope, where they felt like they couldn't do anything to get out of their struggle. I'm going to do whatever I can to help them realize that they have a shot. Not only do they have a shot, but they can live a happy, healthy, and beautiful life and they can get through this. And when they are going through a dark time again, that's not the end. We're going to keep pushing forward. And you're going to be able to really use those lessons and those journeys to say, hey, I can get through any challenge. And that's really helped me. And that's really given me calmness and strength and peace. Because I've been able to have thousands of conversations now, I feel like, with with people that, that have been suffering. And you're able to kind of share these journeys, these collective journeys. And OCD is such a misconstrued illness, right? Where some people that I know, one of my buddies, he's in his 30s, right? And he didn't get his diagnosis until almost 15 years after his first intrusive thought. Um, now, imagine living with those horrible thoughts every day and just thinking that you're the only one on earth having these thoughts. And then when you're able to kind of take care of these and realize, that, hey, this is your OCD speaking. This isn't you. This isn't John Tessitore. This isn't what you want. You care so much about people that you love, right? That you're scared of something happened to them. So, so you're actually an extra good person for these thoughts. So for anyone out there suffering, I just want to let you know that you aren't alone. You have an incredible soul and your light is going to sparkle. And 
you may feel alone right now, but I promise you, you're not alone and, and your story does matter. And if you are in that same boat that I was in and you have those intrusive thoughts, do not give up and don't be ashamed of who you are. I promise you those thoughts will get better. And I promise you that you're going to continue to be able to find ways to cultivate a beautiful and happy life. And the first step is acceptance and accepting that you deserve happiness. You deserve peace. You deserve love. You deserve support. And most importantly, you deserve to be exactly who you are. So don't forget that. And that's something that has given me peace amongst some of these thoughts that, you know, I never would have thought when I was crying by my mom's bedside after losing my best friend and being so lost and confused, I'd be able to have this foundation that spreads hope and and light to to so many people. So it's just, uh, you know, I guess that kind of answers your question. But, but I hope that's, that helps. <laughs> that's more than I could have ever asked for. And John, every single person in the world needs to hear this podcast and hear your message. I mean, that's, I, I think so few people are willing to be that vulnerable and that real with what they're going through. It's relatable to everyone to a certain degree. Not everyone has these intrusive thoughts, but everyone has something. I like to say in some of my happiness training that, you know, we can't control what's happening externally, but we can control our thoughts and our actions. And you just negated that. You can't always control your thoughts. And our thoughts generally guide our actions. So therefore, we can't always control our actions. And that's what leads people down these really tragic paths. So I think just helping people reframe their thoughts through your message is is everything. That's the, the difference between life and death is the difference between night and day. And also understanding that those thoughts, even though they they feel like they're controlling you, they don't have as much power as you think. Those intrusive thoughts aren't what you want. They're not going to take control of you and the way you want to live your life. And that's such a powerful feeling, like you just said, Ryan. And I think that's that's so important. Those thoughts don't have nearly as much control over you as you think. And when you kind of take that power back, it's a game changer. And then it goes back to what you were just saying about happiness. And you're able to say, wow, I know these are my intrusive thoughts, so I'm going to just take them as a grain of salt. I'm going to say, oh, yeah, okay, OCD. Oh, yeah, that horrible thought. Sure. What do you got? Give me more. Come on. And then it kind of goes away and you start realizing they don't have as much power as you think. And real quick, I'll never forget just like one exposure that I had to do when I was about eighth grade. I had to tell my mom, I had to look my mom dead in the eyes 10 times and say, mom, you're possessed by the devil. You're possessed by the devil. You're possessed by the devil. And I never thought I could have done that. But the empowerment that I got from that, and when my mom looked at me and kind of smiled afterwards and now, what are we, 17 years later? And thank God, my mom is, she's she's in a good spot. And it <laughs> just shows that those thoughts don't have as much power as, as we think. So it's uh, that helps me find some peace. Yeah, yeah. And John, I mean, it sounds like you've been on a roller coaster of a life. You've, you've <laughs> felt some, some lows. But I have to believe you've also experienced some extreme highs. And this is the Hit of Happiness podcast. So I would love to know, what makes you happy? Or what is one of those happiest moments of your life? Oh, man, there's a lot of things that make me happy. I think one of the things that I'm so proud of personally is the fact, I mean, there's a couple things. So I'll start with a few different things, right? So one thing is I never thought that I had the ability to be loved. And I think something that's really powerful is that I've been able to be, currently am in a loving relationship where we're able to be vulnerable, where I'm able to share the highs and lows of my mind and this mind that I couldn't even accept. The fact that someone can accept that that to me is one of the most empowering feelings in the world because I'll never forget in seventh grade, I used to go to sleep thinking I would never be able to be loved. And being able to accept that love and being able to slowly but surely be able to learn that, that you know, wow, someone can love me and I am deserving of that love. That's a big high. 
another big high is being able to really just connect, right? And being able to go out there and authentically be myself and have people accept that, right? Because again, back to being in seventh grade, I never thought I'd be accepted. I never thought that I'd be able to have friends. I thought all my th- friends would think I was crazy. But my friends accept me for that crazy person, that quote-unquote crazy person that I am with this energy, the person that loves to spread that light and that's able to just blast Avicii and, and have a dream of going to Sweden and spreading mental health awareness and going to the Avicii Arena and playing a DJ set while, while being able to just open up and spread mental health awareness and bring positivity to whoever is there, right? Like that that's who I am and I love that. And, and also just... I got to say, I have to give so much credit to my mother because my mother is the person she has had to deal with so much for me. She's had to deal with me at my lowest, had to deal with me at my highest. <laughs> Sometimes dealing with me at my highest isn't always the best thing either because I'm, I'm almost <laughs> too happy in a sense. And uh, I want to, and this is interesting, I want to constantly show appreciation for the people that love me. I want to show appreciation for my girlfriend. I want to show appreciation for my mother, for all of my best friends that have all these people who have loved me unconditionally, in a sense, right? I think that's a really powerful, powerful feeling, right? And dude, even yourself, right? You become one of my close friends. Chris, you guys have become really, really close friends in my life. And the amount of being able to connect with you guys and, and have those conversations, those relationships, they fill me with so much happiness and so much hope. And also just being able to calmly accept that I don't always have to be doing a million things to be happy. I can enjoy a beautiful sunset. I can just kind of slow down and be at peace with my mind. And sometimes my mind's going to overwhelm me. and It's going to think me into oblivion, so to speak. But being able to accept the fact that that's not always going to happen, and that's not always... When that does happen, I can accept the pain in a sense. And I can accept that sometimes... I think being able to live with the pain that my mental illness sometimes causes me and being able to accept that that's a part of, of life at times allows me to kind of move forward and be proud and be happy and say, I know that pain has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And I'm not going to be in this negative state forever. And it allows me to slow down and, and be a little bit more proud of, of who I am. And that's something that it really gives me happiness too and hope. And just being able to also see kind of the faces and have those conversations with students that that have been able to kind of find hope from just, you know, a program that we've given or a conversation that we've had. And that gives me a lot of hope too. And that gives me a lot of happiness. And also just continuing to have that journey, right? I, I think life is a journey. And being able to kind of open up about my own story and being able to kind of protect myself too. And being able to set boundaries for myself has also been something that's been able to give me a lot of happiness and a lot of peace. So there's a lot of things that give me happiness. And sometimes you get overwhelmed by the darkness, which is sad. But when I do get overwhelmed by the darkness, I understand that, hey, this is just a cloud that's here right now. This is not permanent. Anyone that is in that darkness right now, that might have a hold on you today, tomorrow, for a week, for a month, whatever it may be, but it's not going to have that hold on you forever. And that's an empowering feeling. And continue just constantly try to be present. And I think that's really helped me find, find some happiness. And yeah, that's interesting. And I'll tell you, a couple months ago, a couple of years ago, I probably would have said that some things that weren't good caused me fake happiness, right? Like sports used to cause me a lot of happiness and sports do cause me happiness still too when I'm playing them. I struggle with an addiction and I have, you know, I'll be honest on this show, I'll just share with everyone. I have a gambling addiction and and I have been clean for over just about eight months now. And I used to think that that was only the only way for me to be happy. And that was the furthest thing from the truth. But um, I have so much compassion right now and empathy for anyone who might be going through that and might feel like that's what gives you happiness right now. You're going to continue to get through that and you're going to find that happiness and purpose. And if you're in that, that phase right now where you are addicted to something and, and you feel unhealthy, like don't 
don't judge yourself for that. And don't think that this is the end. Don't think that you can never get over it. You can be 85 years old and you can still fight that and live a, a happy last 15 years of your life. So that's something I want to share with people too. Um, hopefully that that can help you if you are suffering from an addiction or if you are in that state of mind where you, you don't feel good. Hopefully that can help you get through it. If I were to flip the question to myself, what makes me happy? My answer is now John Tessitore makes me happy because you fill me with hope. And another thing you just touched on that I think is so important is the topic of connection. Mm -hmm. And so many people think that you can connect with people because you have that surface level connection. You both watched that sports game last night or you know a specific... I don't know, you've been to a specific park, whatever you think like, oh, that'll, you know, bond you, that'll make you stronger, closer. But it's really about being vulnerable. It's about opening yourself up and playing your cards. That's how the real relationships form. And you know, that's how Mm -hmm. what our conversations have been all about over the past few months. And I'm sure you with uh, a lot of the people who you've helped over the years, you hit the nail on the head vulnerability. I, I used to think vulnerability was one thing. And I learned it's actually something totally different. This is, I think, the biggest learn that I've maybe had in the last year and a half. I used to be vulnerable about certain things that caused me pain, about certain things that caused me happiness. But I still wasn't vulnerable about some of the real, real pain inside of me, right? Some of the things that I thought were going to be holding me back. And I think when you're able to free yourself from that and when you're able to have those difficult conversations that you never thought you could have, that's when you start to really grow and you start to really realize, wait a second, like, this vulnerability does set me free. Even if I feel like, oh my God, what if I say the wrong thing? Well, you know what? You're not always going to say the right thing. But if you say what's on your mind and what's on your heart, it's going to at least help you be proud of who you are, right? And it's going to prevent you from staying stuck. And there's times where I still, I mean, I always get stuck in my own head still. I don't want to sit here and say that I'm just vulnerable, the prince of vulnerability. You know, it's like, you know, I, there's things that I still hold back and always are, and that still do hold me back. But recognizing that having those, I think, difficult conversations, those vulnerable conversations really do help you grow. And they really help you stay true to yourself and stay true to your values. So I do think that when you're vulnerable about certain things, and obviously, there's certain there's times and place for everything. There's certain people that you can be vulnerable with and certain people that, that you can't be vulnerable with, right? And that's okay. But when you're able to kind of be vulnerable, and you're able to kind of open up in, in a way that makes you feel comfortable while also protecting your peace, like being able to be vulnerable on a podcast like this is awesome because it allows me to kind of share my truth, but also protect myself in certain ways too, right? And I think that's a powerful thing because not every podcast I would share about my gambling addiction, right? But I feel comfortable doing that because I think that it's going to help people and I feel safe saying, you know, I, I can share this and I feel better about that. So I do think that vulnerability really does set you free. And it's not always what you think it is, right? It's not always just saying, ah, oh, this is what I need. This is what I want. It's also, it's like really digging deep and writing down and feeling what, what's really inside of, of your heart and trying to get that to the forefront and trying to do what you need to do for yourself. And when you do that for yourself, it usually everything else in your life starts to kind of come together and you start to really, uh, all those people that are close to you and they, when they know that you're vulnerable, allows you to be vulnerable with them and help take care of those people that are close to you in your life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've experienced that more vulnerable I am, the more vulnerable other people are with me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of a sudden people start vibrating at a higher frequency, start just being kinder humans. It's a beautiful thing. And I want to get a little bit back to your foundation, John. And yeah. I think it's been around for something like 10, 10 years. It's think. crazy. So the first softball tournament was 10 years ago. Wow. That's when we first, I guess, started becoming advocates, if you will. And then we really kind of roared it into 
year in 2017, 18 with these programs. But we've been advocating for mental health for about 10 years now. Wow. Wow. And so you have these programs that you bring to schools and you've done them all across the US. You're bringing them to Europe soon. For you, in a perfect world, what is your vision for mental health awareness? Oh, it's a, my vision. That's a great question. My vision for mental health awareness is for people to just not be afraid of those scary parts of their mind. Yeah. And for people to feel free and people to not be so obsessed with mental health awareness that they're constantly focusing on it, but just becomes a part of their daily life where being a mental health advocate is living your free life, right? And living the life that you want to live and not letting these, you know, the struggles of whatever was bringing you down kind of dictate your life, right? And you're going to have those struggles and you're going to be real about those struggles. But my real vision is for people to use mental health awareness, mental health education to help them on a holistic approach to a happy life and a fulfilled life because I could die in five seconds or I could die in 60 years, right? Like who knows, right? But at the end of that, it's like, I really hope that anyone kind of listening to this can understand that you deserve to be happy. And I think that's the biggest thing is we kind of forget. And that's the beautiful thing about the hit of happiness, right? Is you really do deserve to be happy. And my vision for mental health awareness is providing any sort of space for people to be happier and not to get so overwhelmed by the amount of assignments that you have to do, but start really focusing on things that you love to do in life and being able to live that life that you always imagined and not letting that your mental illness dictate your life, but you being able to just understand that when you need help, you're going to get it, but you're also going to get out there and live the life that you really want. So I I really hope to spread that vision and that message of just authenticity and and living a life that really helps you feel, really helps you feel empowered in the life that you want to live without letting your mental illness dictate it. And when it does kind of roar its its head into your life, you understand that you have those resources that you don't forget what what we talked about. You're not alone. Don't judge yourself for going into a downward spiral. Don't think that it's the end. Don't think that that all the work that you put in is for nothing. It's a total opposite. This is a part of your journey. And when you kind of embrace those lows as a part of your journey, you kind of can become unstoppable in a sense. And I'm not fully there yet. I don't know if we'll ever fully get there. But when you can embrace those lows, I think as a part of your journey, it allows you to kind of see a little bit clearer and, and say, okay, even though I feel horrible right now, there's still so much more that I can do in a sense. And this isn't the end, but this is like a learning experience. And it's not always easy, but I just want people to feel kind of free in who they are. Right. And I think that's a powerful feeling and, and to be able to live the life that, that they always kind of dreamed of and to be able to really, when you can and when you're healthy enough to do so, spread that light to other people. Right. Because I do think it is contagious. And when people see that and when you don't give up on each other, you never know who you're going to spark. Right. And even if you're in a downward cycle for four, five, six, seven, 10, 15, 20 years, it's just a part of it. Right. Don't take for granted what we have or what can happen. So it's just, yeah, a little bit rambly, but I think I think that gets the point across for my for my vision. It's more uh, about providing happiness too, and giving people the space to cultivate that happiness. Providing happiness, and something you touched on there that I think is so uh, profound is the concept of just embracing the struggle. Where once you can get to the point where you're aware that you're struggling, but you can find the power within that and understand that this is actually making me stronger. This is going to be another tool in my toolkit once I get through this. This is going to be a superpower one day even. you know. I think it's really hard to see that when it's in the moment. 
Exactly. And also being nice to yourself when you're in that moment. And one thing that I always would always get upset with, like when I'm in a really depressive state, it's like, how did I get here? You know, I, I advocate for mental health so much. How, why am I here? That's not fair. That's BS. And I get so upset. And then I'm like, it's okay to feel that way, man. You're not an imposter for feeling like that. That's a part of your journey. And then you're going to slowly, when you accept that, you start feeling a little bit better. And I think that's anyone out there who feels like that, like you're not an imposter. Don't think of that. Impo- you know, I, that's something I struggle with so much when I'm struggling. Oh, an imposter. I don't deserve to be speaking about this. No, that's BS. And I think that's the important thing for us to recognize, right? It's like when you are in that struggle, it's like it's okay to be there, right? Like no. it's okay to be there. And don't be too hard on yourself when you're there. And if you are really hard on yourself when you're there, again, that's okay. Again, I guess kind of to, not to be contradictory, but even if you are hard on yourself, that's a part of it, right? That's a part of this journey. And it helps you move forward and be a little kinder to yourself the next time. Yeah, yeah. Kindness is key. You know, I, I think about meditation. And when I sit to meditate, I, I, what I'm trying to do is quiet my mind. But what really happens and the key is when I catch myself thinking and I listen to my thoughts to understand what's actually going through my mind. And that, and that in itself separates me from my mind and makes me more aware that I am not my thoughts. Is that something that you've ever embraced, John? I've tried. I'm learning. I guess I'm not the best at it, but I'm learning how to get there. I'm learning how to get there with mindfulness. (laughs) You have your own tools. I embrace it, but I my mind, I think still, as you can see, I'm a lot more mindful and, I, and I'm, I'm trying to get there. But I have embraced it. I want to do it more though, because when you're able to kind of feel those thoughts, it's huge. And that's a big part of my recovery from addiction, right? Is kind of embracing those negative thoughts and not trying to hide from them or gamble away from them in a sense, right? So, yeah. so I absolutely, I do embrace those tools, but I like to embrace them even more. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, we're going to start the wrap up here, John. This conversation has been incredible. Before we close it up, I want to know, and maybe you've already mentioned the person, but who do you consider to be the biggest role model in your life today? Oh, wow. The biggest role model in my life. It's got to be my mother. Just with my mom, I think what I admire so much about her is her never give up attitude. And no matter how much I was struggling, no matter how much I was doing bad or doing poorly in life, she always checked in. She always believed in me and she always led with so much kindness, right? And my mom has not only done so much for me, but for so many people in her community. She's listened to people. She's understood people. And she has this just huge heart where she always sees the best in people. And I think that's such a beautiful thing to have. And when you see the best in people, even if you don't necessarily agree with that person, even if you don't want to like someone, try to see the best in them. And at least that will help you kind of move forward in a sense. Right. And my mom has given me so much tools and just kind of this, this really belief. She always has this, this belief in good. Right. And she's been through some struggles in her life, but it, it hasn't impacted her in a way. She's used those struggles to kind of help her and to catapult her to where she needs to be. And she's so in touch with who she is. And I don't know, she's just, I love her so much. You know, I love her to death. And she just has this huge heart where she believes in everyone. And, She's kind of, I think, instilled that love for the world in me and that seeing the good in people in me. And that's something that I'm so, so grateful for because I think it makes me who I am. I think she, she's had a huge part in making John Tester who he is. That, that's beautiful. 
And I think the whole Hit of Happiness community has uh, fallen in love with you, John, over the past 42 <laughs> minutes or so here. <laughs> oh, man. But I think I want everyone to know this is why this man, John, is why uh, 10% of all sales on the Hit of Happiness website do go to JCK in support of mental health and resilience amongst today's youth and really just in support of John as well because it's such an (laughs) amazing story, amazing person, amazing organization. So John, for those who want to do more for JCK or just want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Do you have a website, social media? Absolutely. So you can reach out to us in three different ways. The biggest social media we use is our Instagram and we want to get people more and more involved. And actually, we're going to be putting some stuff up from what Brian's doing, which we're really excited about on our social media. So follow us at JCK Foundation. And you can visit our website, www.jckfoundation.org. Or you can reach out to me personally, you can email me at john at jckfoundation.org. If if you've related to this, if there's any way I, I I can help, please feel free to, to reach out. And if you want to get involved in the foundation too, we'd always love to hear from you. So yeah, feel free to reach out. We're always here to do whatever we can to help you and uh, help you on your journey any way that, that I can. Amazing, John. And I want to end it with a quote that I found on your website from John Kelly of JCK. I've developed a deep sense of compassion and will crusade to help others. I love that because you as a leader of JCK are embodying that every <laughs> single day. So <laughs> I just want to say thank you for what you do. Thank you for coming on this podcast. Thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate you, John, so much. Brian, I appreciate you more than you know. And just being able to hear that, that that really hit home. And that means the world to me. Because if if I can embody that quote, I know that I'm doing John Kelly justice. And that means the world to me. We just shared that quote with the students today. So that means the world to me. So thank you so much for this opportunity. And, and hopefully anyone out there listening, keep continuing to find that hope and never give up. You're never alone. You're never alone. Keep finding that hope. Stay happy. Do the things you love. Thank you for listening. And we'll talk to everyone soon. Thanks, guys. Bye.